to another episode of On Your Terms with me, Fahima Adam. Today's episode is one that I've really been wanting to do for a while. I've wanted to talk about finances, money for quite a while, because I think if we really are honest with ourselves, a lot of things, you know, when it comes to living life and doing work on your own terms can be limited by or made possible by our finances, by our money and our situation and mindset around finances and money. So I've really been looking to have a conversation with somebody who has a good amount of understanding, education around these things, but not just in a kind of subject matter expertise way, but also in a very much holistic mindset sort of way. Somebody who understands it not just the actual numbers, but also understands the people side of it, the human side of it, the way that we want to link it to living life in our own terms. So when it comes to money, yeah, there's words like mortgages, overdrafts, accounts, there's bank statements, there's all the different things. But there's also dreams. There's also what is it you want from your life? Do you want to go on at least one holiday a year? Or are you planning on doing three? Do you want to start a family? Do you want to start your own business? Do you want to think about these things and how they might impact on other areas of your life? I think money and finances are huge and I don't want to just brush over those in this conversation about living life and doing work on your own terms because in the world we live in, we need a certain amount of money to live and then we need more money to make dreams happen. So I found a really, really great person to speak to. And it's someone who has a background originally in accounting and then education around money. And now she works as a financial planner and financial advisor for herself. You can hear more about her story on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get Tina Steele on the pod. Welcome to the podcast, Tina. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you today, Tina, because it's been a long time coming. We've had it in the works for a little while, and there's just so many things I really want to ask you about, in particular about finance. So right. let's get started. Okay. So, Tina, similar to me, you've had a background where you were in the corporate world, and then you've moved over to working for yourself as a financial planner. So I was in the corporate world. I moved over to working as a self-employed lawyer. Tell us about your story and your journey. You know, what happened? You were in the corporate world and what made you make your decision to move to working for yourself? Okay. Yeah, I'll probably make sense to start at university. Yes. Um, I did an accounting degree at university. Um, it was the bit I enjoyed most in my business studies A-level. Uh, so they always say pick a degree you enjoy because they're quite hard. So yes. you may as well enjoy it. Yeah. So I never particularly planned to go into accounts, but I did love doing it. But when it got to the time where they come around and talk to you about jobs and, and accounting firms come and look and say, come and look at the offices and recruitment, I went into a few accounting firms and just couldn't see myself working in a practice. It yeah. was very quiet. And as you know, <laughs> I talk quite a lot. Yeah. Um, although they were helping looking at the past and doing the accounts, it didn't feel like I would be helping people enough. Ah. It didn't feel like the right path for me. Yeah. 
So I was a bit stuck as to what to do. I'd done retail jobs on Saturdays and during the summer and things like that. And I loved helping customers. So I wanted to do something that combined both skills. So I started working in manufacturing in big sort of multinational companies uh, and doing finance. But while I was there and in every job I had over the the sort of first six years working in manufacturing, I liked to educate people. Uh So I was in starting the accounts payable, moved on to doing different euro and dollar ledgers, but no one really understood what the finance team did outside the finance team. Yes, I can completely (laughs) understand that because I I used to be in the corporate world and yeah, that was the one team we were like, well, they just do something with numbers, but we don't. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) With their heads down on spreadsheets. As long as we get paid at the end of the day and they're responsible for that, that's fine. (laughs) So I kind of wanted to spread the word and and make it, um, you know, when we were asking for things, why are we asking them? Mm. And make make sense. And so people understood that bigger picture. And, you know, we were asking things for a reason. So sort of my education passion began there. And then after about six years, I moved into the world of education. So I worked in an FE college as a head of finance and then later on worked in universities. So my education passion grew more. And I loved upskilling my teams that I was looking after, making them understand why we did everything we did in the department and also training a lot of the academics who were great at what they did on financial things because they were given a budget to manage didn't have a clue how to manage a budget. Um, So I did finance for non-finance training. And then moving on from that, I thought, oh, I really like this education. So I then lectured bookkeeping level one. And then later on, lectured degree accounting as well. So that was sort of my passion for education came through in all my jobs that I was doing. And also sort of thinking outside the box and using finance as a strategy to help business. So all of those combined, it got to the point where I'd had a family. I wanted a bit more of a work-life balance because being finance yeah. director was a lot of hours looking after yes. teams on different sites and wanted to do something different. And I was going to be an accountancy consultant working in the other universities. That was going to be my plan. Right. At the time, I went to speak to a couple of financial advisors in different firms about my own pension zone situation. Two men. Different firms. Uh, there was no women yeah. in those firms. And um, they were both quite salesy. Oh. Both didn't really listen oh. to what I was saying and told me what I needed. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment where I thought somebody needs to do advice a little bit different. So that was where my journey started off. Yeah. I research what I was going to do when four and a half years later, nearly, here I am. Wow. So, Tina, that it's so interesting because... It wasn't your plan at the start. Like you hadn't planned to be here now. But actually, when you work backwards, it makes perfect sense that each piece was fitting to the next bit, to the next bit. And especially with the education piece, because you started with that. And then you went and worked in like FE and universities. And like, that's just, it's just funny how that works out. It's very similar to me because I worked in universities as well, doing legal contracts in the research office. Mm. And then again, working with academics to help them to understand why they need confidentiality agreements when they're talking to pharmaceutical industry and things like that. So I can really resonate with your background, (laughs) but also I feel I can resonate with your passion. Yeah. Sounds like you have a real passion for finance and that comes through because you want to teach and you want to educate on it. You want people to understand it rather than just do it. Yeah. So, you know, 
when we grow up and our parents say, oh, do this, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the same as when they say, do this because, and then they give you a good reason. Yeah. And I think that's where you're providing now, Tina. You're telling us, I know sometimes we're like children for you in the sense <laughs> in the sense that we don't want to do our finances properly. <laughs> but if you tell us why, we're more likely yeah. to do it. Yeah. And if you tell us why, we're more likely to buy in and say, oh, do you know what, that, that is important. Or like, mm-hmm. actually, I should do that because that would be so good for me. Yes. But if someone says, oh, just do this. Mm-hmm. Don't want to do it. I don't want to look at spreadsheets. I don't want to look at numbers. I don't want to, don't want to look at my bank account yeah. and just things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Tina, today is similar to me. Like I always say to people when it comes to legal stuff is you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I think the same would apply in, in finance. Is that right? Absolutely. And just linking on to what you've just said about, you know, people don't want to be told, but actually if they don't know what they don't know. How can they make informed choices? Yeah. So very much financial education is a huge passion, as I've said before, of mine. And it is giving people those little bits of advice that may make a difference to their lives for the better. And there's so much information out there. And it's knowing where to start, what to look at. And every individual may need to know a different bit of of finance. So yeah. It's a huge, huge field. As you know, we can't all be experts in every field. No, we can't. Legal experts. <laughs> no, absolutely. But but one thing I do find really interesting, and I sometimes think back to it, is when I'm dealing with my own financial something, like I might be sorting out a mortgage or you know whatever. And I think, why don't we learn about this at school? Like we do maths, yeah. and you might choose to do economics at like I don't know whether it's still called A levels, but A levels. Yeah. But other than that, you don't learn what's an overdraft, what's mm-hmm. the difference between even a current account and a savings account, or what's an ISA, like what are these things? And you learn yes. them, like you don't learn them. You actually just come across them as an adult and then have to figure it out, feel embarrassed and all sorts of things. Do you think that we should be taught these things in school? I do, I do. And I agree, maths, you know, I, I liked maths as a child. <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't surprise you. But when have I ever used algebra in my life? Never. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But actually, even the real basics, how to budget. Right. That I find I do pre-financial wellbeing for organisations to try and give back as part of my corporate social responsibility for my business and, and educate. Really? I'm trying to give some information. And uh, one of the things I put on there was budgeting. Right. And I thought, am I being too simplistic? Is this going to be helpful? And the feedback has been incredible. And it's more about just how to budget. It's about the mindset of budgeting. Okay. So I talk to people about essential and discretionary expenditure. So your essential being your bills, your things you have to pay to get by. And yes. discretionary, you're nice to have, you're spending, you're going out, your holidays, etc. And sometimes just breaking those apart gives people that space to look at, this is what I have to spend. I was classing some of these others as I have to spend them. You do have a choice not to. You do have oh. a choice to. <laughs> that is so true. Save, you know, that, the little phrase I love is, do you save what you can before spending or do you spend what you can before saving that's really interesting and it's definitely a mindset thing isn't it it is it is but also knowing where to start you know and sometimes just having that basic sort of layout and and thoughts can provide people those next steps when they just don't know where to start yeah and I think thinking about those essential expenses or essential spend That, I guess, is your like number that you need every month. You need it. And that's not really negotiable because otherwise you won't have electricity or you won't have a roof over your head exactly. or those things. Yeah. Whereas 
some of the other categories that you might think, because you just know that oh, I spend this much every month, roughly, mm-hmm. then you think that's part of it. But actually, you're right. You know, we have a bit more control over things than we think. Yes, we do. And one of the exercises that I do in the, in those workshops is on this spreadsheet where it's got essential indiscretion, I ask people to have a go and fill it in without looking at anything. So do they ah. do they know what they're spending? And I do this with my clients as well. And you know, yeah. and we get to the bottom and we say, this is our income, this is our expenditure. We get to the bottom and say, okay, you've got five hundred pounds spare a month, and they go mm, more like ten pound. <laughs> and then it's backtracking to look at where yeah. that was going because quite often we, you know, pop into shops, get things here and there. Is it essential? Yes. Is it really needed? It may be, but it's it's being in control, and then you can make the decisions. Actually knowing rather than guessing and just imagining. I think also, I guess we start to spend money at quite a young age. I feel like when, you know, you go to university and you get your student loan, you have access to money for the first time Mm -hmm. or more money than what you might have got as part of pocket money or whatever. And then you start to develop spending habits and everybody develops different spending habits. So for example, I might have, you know, as a student, I might, I don't think it was even around then, but say a Spotify subscription, Amazon Prime or whatever I might have. And for me, those have then become essential because I've done them for the last 10, 15 years. But actually, I guess you're probably going to tell me that those are the desirables, aren't they? Like some of those. They could be. I mean, everyone's different. And this is why, you know, it's kind of based on an individual, because if you think they're essential and they are essential for you, then they're essential. And there's no right or wrong. Okay. Some people say, I have to go and get my hair done every six weeks. Yes. That's my essential. And other people might say, I don't need to. And that's a discretionary. Oh, so yes. it is very, very much based on the person. But it's giving them the choice to decide what they think is essential and make decisions on the discretionary if they want to and okay. make changes. I get it. So it's definitely mm. subjective, but it's about being aware of your own spending and aware of what, how you're categorizing things. So for me, the Spotify, yeah. I would try and argue and say, no, Tina, it is essential because I need it for the gym. <laughs> so, you know, and, and someone else might be like, yeah, I don't really listen to it that much anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and quite a lot of times when I'm going through this exercise is people have subscriptions they don't know they've, they've oh, got. Oh, gosh, yeah. So it is about tidying up sometimes yes. as well during this exercise because we, we've subscribed to things ages ago and don't check our bank. Yes. Have and then they just go out. through the direct debit and they're, yeah, and they're always there. And you just think, well, this is what I'm always left with at the end of the month. But actually, there's something. You're paying for some old insurance on a phone you don't have anymore or whatever it is. Very interesting. Okay. So, Tina, the other thing I wanted to talk to you a bit about was well-being. Now, that's something that you talk about in relation to your work. And I found that really interesting because I've never heard a financial planner, a financial advisor, use the word well-being when they talk about their work. What do you mean about well-being in the context of your work? So for me, financial well-being means being able to be in control of your finances. So having that positive mindset of being happy in a happy place with your finances. But to be able to do that, you need to have the financial education behind it to be able to have the knowledge, skills, confidence to manage your money, which puts you in control, which can reduce anxiety and stress and give you improved well-being. So the two are very, very closely linked that makes complete sense. So where can people go to get that kind of education? What would you recommend? There is lots more people doing financial well-being out there. I think yeah. the knowledge part, so the education, obviously there is different websites that tell you different information. There's government sites, there's financial advisors. There's all sorts of different people that you could talk to to get some advice on certain yeah. things. And everyone will have different things in their minds that they want to talk about. I'm sure everyone's got different financial concerns. And they, they will probably change over their lifetime as well. 
So, do you know, it's only, I have to say it wasn't, it's probably like only five years ago, maximum, where I realized or understood or started to think or whatever it is that a financial planner and financial advisor is not somebody that I only go to if I've got tons of money, super rich, can invest thousands and thousands of pounds. And my income is just, I've got a massive disposable income and I'm, you know, nearly a millionaire or something. And now I need to go to a financial advisor, financial planner. That doesn't sound like what you're telling me. No, I know. And, and financial planners will be different. They'll all some specialize yes. in different areas. Um, my approach is holistic. So look at absolutely everything. So look at the individual and see what they need, why they need it, and give them that education on different aspects. So it might be protection. So we talked about essential bills. Actually, if you were ill, can you pay those essential bills? You know, do you have yes. emergency funds? You know, looking at all that aspect. Pensions is another one, investment planning. So the whole kind of spectrum, mortgages, everything in there. So yeah, financial planners generally look at holistic. Like I say, not all of them, but most do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not always about just money and investments. There's lots of other no. things that planners can have. Yeah. I think that job title just made me feel like it's, you know, definitely just like a wealth management thing, like where you've got to have yeah. a lot of wealth to even go and speak yeah. to someone. And once I learned that that's not the case, it's been brilliant because I've actually have been and asked a few things. I've got help with certain mm-hmm. things. But I love your holistic approach because that's looking at the individual as an individual, looking at their context and their circumstances, and then also making sure you're covering all the different things. One of the things you talked about there and you touched on was like retirement and pensions. Yes. So that's something that whenever I think of that word, or I'm sure other people probably in their 20s, 30s or 40s think, ah, I'll deal with that a little bit later. I'm still young. I've got a lot of working years ahead of me still. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that attitude? (laughs) I was exactly the same. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I done accountancy from being 18 or, you know, worked in the finance world, but didn't know anything about pensions. No one ever talked to me about pensions. You don't learn them as an accountant. (laughs) Wow. There you go. So I was in my twenties and I had nice cars and I bought a house young and I did all those things and thought I'll do pension later. So I, yeah, I was there, you know, just because I worked in, yep. it didn't make me any different. I, I didn't understand yep. enough. I didn't have the education to make the informed choice. If I'd seen what a difference putting in a pension early can make, I would have absolutely put that money in there. But nobody ever took the time to explain that. So yes, the earlier you can put into a, a pension, obviously you get the compound interest and it grows over time and you get tax relief from government potentially as well. They are great things to have. Also, if you didn't spend them, they're also at the moment, obviously depending on tax legislation at the time, they pass on inheritance tax-free as a legacy. So they're great, great vehicles to invest in. But I didn't know enough back when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's really kind of reassuring in a sense, because I mean, you know, I think there are probably a lot of us that have felt like that. One thing I'd love to ask you is, you don't need to obviously name any names or mention any clients or anything like that. Don't do that. Just give us some generic kind of thoughts on... What if I was like now in my early 50s and this first time I'm thinking I should have done something about that pension? What situation does that leave you in? And like, what can you do then, Tina? Yeah, it's never too late, I would say. It's never too early, it's never too late. You know, yes. as long as you're thinking about it and it's the right thing for you, getting a plan that works for you, it's never too late. Okay, so still just go and speak to someone that's a financial planner, financial advisor, and someone who, talk, who can help you with um, just looking at it. So don't keep burying your head in the sand. No, the longer you leave it, then it doesn't give you the opportunity to change something should you want to and should it work for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's always 
you can still go and talk to someone and you can always still make a plan for going forward. Yes. And plans, like I say, generally change over time anyway. So you ah, may, even if you maybe spoke to somebody in your 30s, if you haven't seen that person again, your life plan might have changed or your circumstances yes. might have changed or, you know, so it's always worth having those regular catch ups. Oh, brilliant. Is that something that you and other financial planners do like have people that you speak to like every year or every couple of years to check in on them and see that, you know, have they changed anything major in their finances? Like have they started a new company or started a family or whatever? And Absolutely. I see all my clients at least once a year, but usually two or three okay. times a year. Well, Because things come up in their lives. So, you know, they reach out and say, can we have a chat? And that's great. That's exactly how it should be because then the advice is the most up to date it can be. That's fantastic. That's so similar to me in that with contracts, I do the same with clients because client will have a contract written bespoke to mirror their business, the way they run it, terms, conditions, whatever it is they need. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, they might have changed the way they run their business. And so yeah. that contract now needs to be tweaked to reflect what they now do. Um, and sometimes the law changes, you know, not as often, but it does. And then we just need to update the contract for those reasons. So very similar again. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between right. our work. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just because it's law and finance. It's because of our approaches to both of those in this holistic way and with the, the consideration for well-being and mindset. And so for me, if my clients do come, you know, once a year and do an annual review, it won't cost them as much as it would if they left it for a few years. Yeah. And also they can have the kind of peace of mind that their contracts are, are good and safe and protected. Yeah. And they can do business just happily knowing that that's in place. Yeah. Um, and same with you and that people can live their lives knowing that you know what the money's taken care of and I'm doing everything intentionally not just burying my head in the sand not looking at the bank account and that's the well-being isn't it that's through there on both sides you know the mental well-being the financial well-being and I think that's something that me and you both get a lot of joy out of delivering to people isn't it I can get I get the sense from you that that's the same for you I do yeah when you hear the feedback that it's made a difference you know it's definitely worthwhile doing what we do (laughs) oh fantastic I think you probably get even more of that because you can see people almost growing in their life of like they weren't able to do something and now you've helped them finances they can afford to do something else they can afford to make different choices um, yeah. maybe move house as a result or or mm-hmm. you know like that think about actually starting a family and they can afford to do that or whatever yeah. it is so I, I bet you get a lot of satisfaction just seeing the changes over years with your clients yeah it's great it is really good brilliant so Tina I've heard you use the phrase life on a page what's that tell me all about it it's my favorite part of the meeting with clients it's a bit I love so generally clients are quite anxious when they yeah. come to me because they don't really talk about finance with anybody. So we do the fact find gathering first. We get the what's your income, what's your expenditure over with. And then we draw their life on a page, which is my favorite bit. And basically they just talk about themselves and we talk about their short, medium and long-term goals. Ah. And all these dreams and aspirations for the future come out and things that sometimes they don't even know are in there, you know. And, And I break it down into four categories generally, which is career or business, whatever they're doing. So we talk about what that might look like in 5, 10, 15 years and also what the exit strategy might be. So we go all the way to the end. Then we talk about family and lifestyle. Do they want to carry on doing what they're doing? Do they want to do more of it, less of it? Do they want to do something different? And again, all the way through to retirement. What does it look like in retirement? And then property is the last area. So are they happy where they are? Is it their forever home? Do they want to upsize, downsize? In the future, may that change? So we discuss all those things and we get loads of great information and they're just happily talking, hopefully happily, happily talking about themselves. But in the background... 
I'm thinking of the jigsaw. So they've told me right. all their finance bits and bobs. So they're happily planning and excited. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we've got this bit, this bit's here. Oh, we're missing a bit here. This bit will be for the future. Their retirement wants to look like this. So we're going to need this amount of money. So I'm in the background trying to work out a bespoke plan for them, for their future that they're talking about. We also talk about retirement age. Again, you know, the world we're living in at the moment, there isn't necessarily an age. People don't always retire. People sometimes, if they're running their own businesses in particular, don't want to retire because they love doing what they're doing. Yeah. So they may continue as long as they can, or they may have a business where there's residual income that'll come in, they'll remain a director and other people will do the job. So there's lots and lots of different things to have a look at what retirement looks like. It's not usually a straight line, 65, I'm going to retire, I need to live off Yeah. But it may be, and everyone is completely different. So yeah, that's basically my life on a page and that's where the plan comes from. So it sounds like people almost, I I wouldn't expect that I'd be doing that when I came to see you, but I feel like I'd be really (laughs) excited about almost taking the opportunity to think about my life a bit more because sometimes we're just on this like treadmill or hamster wheel of life and we're doing the day-to-day yeah. you get up you get ready you get you go to work da, 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 you know and then it comes to friday and it's the weekend da, 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 and you do it all again and you do it all again and then this is suddenly there's this opportunity to sit in front of you and i probably won't be expecting it with a financial advisor i don't know why i wouldn't i just wouldn't and then you're giving <laughs> us this opportunity like think about your life and think about the different aspects of it and what do you want by five ten twenty fifty years down the line like Oh, I just, yeah. I want to do it now. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, well, let me think about what is it I want. And, you know. It can be so therapeutic for people wow. as well, you know, to talk yeah. about what they want to do. And sometimes they feel they can't do those things, but then I'll explore it a little bit more. And I, I think with my background in the corporate world yes. as well, if you're a business owner, you know, I understand more about business yes. and I am a business owner myself. So that, kind of talk through why do you want to do this? Have you thought about taking staff on? Do you want to grow? Do you want to do this? So lots of questions that kind of prompt directions that they explore lots of different ideas. It's great. (laughs) Fantastic. That just sounds brilliant. I feel like I need to go get an appointment (laughs) for for a financial planning session because it just sounds like, you know, I think everyone should think about their life Mm. and what they want from it. And like you say, you might feel like once you've done that dreamy part of it and then you're like, wait, I'm sure I haven't got enough money to be able to do that. I won't have enough money to do it. But like you said, there are lots of different ways of, of trying to make it work or bits that you could do now or later or whatever. And I think that's just fantastic because it's quite it's quite empowering. So. It is. And then, yeah, it's breaking it down and, and getting to that future or as near as you can to that future that they want yeah. and letting them know what maybe they have to sacrifice a little bit now to get to that future. Yes. How important is that future? And that's, again, where you can make those informed choices if you've got yeah. the information. And that's when I'd be more likely to look at those desirable expenses and say, you know what? I don't really need that Netflix subscription right now. (laughs) If it's going to mean I get to do this in five years time or whatever. So yeah, it's all together then. It all makes sense as one piece. Because otherwise a lot of us will think in, I do, in isolation about retirement. One day I'll think about it or it'll worry me one day Mm. and then I'll forget about it. And another day I'll be like, oh gosh, the mortgage. And you know, and it's just, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that does that. But then you're someone who's like, hold on, let's just get it all together and look at it. And it's all about me. It's not about, you know, Jim next door or Tanya down the road. It's not. It's me. What's my situation? What's my financial situation? Yeah. And then that's brilliant. That's really, really good. Mm -hmm. So we're nearly out of time now, Tina. (laughs) How quick does it go, right? It goes really quick. Yeah. I feel like there's lots of other things we could talk about. But before you go, 
I'm going to ask you one last question is one that I ask all of my guests on the podcast. And that is you do financial planning, financial advice. You've done this area of work for a long time. You used to be an accountant. You've done you know, education and teaching on it and everything. So you've been living your life like this since you're like you said, 18. Yeah. <laughs> is there any one thing in your finances that you still struggle with? Now I'd say no. <laughs> Sorry, it's going really headed, but you know, I, I'm no. doing what I'm doing. I am sorted. Uh, but my, my one thing would have been that retirement planning earlier. Yeah. That's the one kind of thing that bugs me the most is that it was a wasted opportunity that if someone would have helped me with the education side, I would have done things differently. Ah, okay. So I guess the take home from that is, is if anyone listening hasn't yet done that then that's the that's the thing that Tina would probably say just get get it done right I would and kind of you have sort of embarrassed you know what judgment type feelings around yeah that's not the case because I I was in finance and I didn't know so (laughs) yeah do you know what I think just this conversation today speaking to you about all of these things you have addressed just those words that you mentioned like feeling embarrassed or ashamed Mm -hmm. because I think that's stuff that people do you feel when they're thinking about finances yeah. or they think or they know that they're burying their head in the sand or they know they don't want to look at the bank statement or they've got a little bit of debt going on or whatever yeah. and yeah shame and embarrassment is very much that and that's why I really like that you have the well-being side to it yeah. and you care about trying to create a happy mindset yeah. that means you can live a, a better happier life absolutely absolutely and you know there shouldn't be any judgment when you're doing financial planning because it's about getting that person into the place that they need to be. Brilliant. Okay. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Tina. You're welcome. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. So at the start of this podcast, I said that I wanted to talk to somebody who knew more about finances and money and who had the human side of it, who understood that it's important to think about people and what we want and what our dreams are. I didn't expect that I'd have such a real conversation today. I thought it would be real, but I didn't expect just how real it would be. And I learned quite a lot in that one conversation. And I know that one of the things I'm definitely going to go and do now is make sure that my pensions are all in order. I'm one of those people that's got a bit of pension here and there and I kind of need to consolidate them all. So that's definitely something I'm going to go away and do. But yeah, aside from that one thing, generally wasn't that just such a useful conversation. I've definitely learned also that you don't need to be a millionaire to go see a financial planner or financial advisor. There are financial planners and financial advisors out there who will help you look at your life, you know, you as an individual not the same as anyone else and help you to make decisions that will really help you to live your life and do work on your own terms. And I think that's brilliant, especially because the financial planning goes all the way through to exit strategies and retirement and beyond. And I just think that's so reassuring. So that was an amazing conversation with Tina. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you did too. If you did, please do share it with someone you think would find it useful or interesting. And please go back and listen to some of the other episodes of the podcast if you found it interesting. And if you haven't already done that, I think one of the main things I'd love for you to do, I don't have sponsors on the podcast yet, but what I will ask you to do, please, is like the podcast, share it, rate it, give it the five-star rating if that's what you think about it. And I just want to get the word out there more to help more people live life and do work on their own terms. So 
I'm going to leave it there until the next episode. If you have been, thank you for listening.